0: inside into the world of Lady Teal's Curious. Good evening and welcome to another Wacky and Weird Wednesday. I'm your host, Lady Teal. Tonight we're talking about 10 traditions in medieval times that would be utterly absurd today. I just want to give... Everybody, a belated happy Halloween because this past October I was only able to release one episode and that's honestly because I have been doing so much in-person research. We are staying in southern Arizona currently and we're really close to Bisbee. We're really close to Tombstone. There's a lot of haunted towns, ghost towns, haunted hotels, paranormal, true crime stories, natural artifacts and there's just a lot going on down here and I've been trying to do a lot of in-person research for some upcoming episodes so normally I would do like a huge Halloween celebration and that has just gone and passed so quickly I hope everyone had a lovely Halloween. Um, I was able to go to a fantastic magic show in Bisbee. And if you're ever in Bisbee, I highly suggest you checking out the seance room. So um, for the month of November, I am going to be pushing out a lot of these stories that I've been able to research. So I hope... This will help keep the spooky season going for you. And in addition, I just wanted to let you know that to keep all of the macabre and the spookiness going all the way through November to Christmas, which a lot of people don't realize, but Christmas is actually a very spooky time of year. In many cultures, Christmas time is the best time to share ghost stories around the Christmas tree. So in honor of that tradition, we're going to be doing a very spooky Secret Santa. And if you want to sign up for that, the link is in my bio on Instagram. I also posted about it on Facebook. And if you have any questions, just reach out to me. But I do hope you will participate. It's like a Secret Santa but Lady Teal's Curio style. So I think that wraps up all the news and going ons in the world right now, as far as this podcast goes. As far as the rest of the world goes, it's getting a little tense out there. And I just really feel like episodes like these kind of make things I don't know, it just makes me appreciate the things that we have in today's society and gives you like a lighthearted outlook on life. So I hope you enjoy tonight's episode and let's dive right in. The medieval times are somewhat a fantasy to many people today. It's an era in time which we romanticize thanks to movies and shows like Lord of the Rings, King Arthur, A Knight's Tale, or The Witcher we often forget the terrible bits. Like people were dying constantly from disease, malnutrition, and a huge lack of sanitary habits. Despite all the horribleness that happened in those periods, I have to admit, I absolutely love going to the Renaissance Festival, dressing up as a fair maiden, drinking some mead, and watching a good joust. Alas, there are traditions from the medieval days that are just so weird, I couldn't not feature them in an episode of Wacky and Weird Wednesday. These are all gathered from a Reddit post for all you source hungry heathens, and I will be sure to share the link in the show notes. So, the first tradition, and just FYI, these are not in any particular order. I just found 10 medieval traditions that would be Super weird today. So, this first one is The Hue and the Cry, and this is submitted by user Cryptic316. The Hue and the Cry literally shouting that someone stole something and having the whole village chase after them. And I laughed out loud when I heard or when I read this post. I just immediately thought, today, if you were Walking along a street and I don't know, Marietta Square or Tucson, Arizona, or something, and all of a sudden somebody just yells out, thief! And everybody that is out there surrounding you just storms that person and runs after that person. (laughs) On one side, it's kind of a good idea. I mean, if you get robbed in a public place, it's nice to have the help, but What if you were wrongly accused? Like, what if you just happened to be standing next to the person who was stolen from and they thought you did it? And then all of a sudden, you are being chased by the entire freaking town. That would be rough. (laughs) So, as I was scrolling through the comments in regards to this particular tradition, a few people likened it to the Twitter mob. If you say something on Twitter and then the Twitter mob attacks you, it's kind of the same thing. I can see the relation there. And apparently a video from Mexico went viral pretty recently where two men tried to rob a public transport van and then all of a sudden the passengers proceeded to beat the unarmed robber. So, I mean, I guess it depends on where you live as far as how weird this was. I I feel like the places where I live and suburbs and rural America, um, I would never see this happen, but I would love to. <laughs> the next tradition that would be super weird today is animal courts. And this tradition was submitted by Icy underscore noob. Animal courts, by far the most serial offenders were pigs. They were accused and convicted of chewing off body parts and even eating children. Most were found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging or being burned at the stake. In 1386, a convicted pig was dressed in a waistcoat, gloves, drawers, and a human mask for its execution. Now, in if that's not one of the most effed up things I've ever heard that an animal was dressed up in human clothes and then executed, I don't know what is. I'm pretty sure I have not seen anything like this today. I could be wrong, but I can't just like, I don't know. I can't imagine <laughs> g- gathering like 14 people together, being a jury. Having a few animals in the courtroom and being like, this pig, Susie, ate that Sally's arm over there. She needs to be put to death and then the jury decides what happens. I don't know about that. There was one user who made a very good point. He said, to be fair, if a pig killed a baby today, it would just be destroyed. No questions asked. And in the 14th century, they'd give a trial, give it defense lawyers, and declare it was innocent." innocent until proven guilty and that's supposed to be more civilized. I mean, I think there might have been some sort of like entertainment value to it. Now, if you want a really entertaining video on whether or not animals can commit crimes, there is a channel called Historia Civilis on YouTube and I'll link that below in the um, show notes. And He just does an amazing job on covering uh, some certain animal trials that went on in Europe. I think you guys would enjoy that. The next tradition is duels over a bride at a wedding. And apparently, this also coincides with a tradition where your best man wasn't necessarily your best friend, but... The best man was often the best duelist you knew. That way, if you were going to fight over a bride at a wedding, you had help from the best freaking fighter that you knew. And there's reason to believe that this is why groomsmen and your bridesmaids stand where they do in a wedding, has something to do with the positioning of a sword. And there's also reason to believe that the bridesmaids and groomsmen were acting as body doubles for the bride and the groom. This also leads to a theory or a belief, I should say, where the evil spirits might have been looking to do them harm and the bridesmaids and the groomsmen were positioned there to prevent the evil spirits from attacking the brides and the grooms. But... I digress, going back to the dueling over a bride. This is something that I definitely haven't seen at any weddings I've been at. Apparently, some Punjabi weddings, there's a ceremonial duel that happens. And I'm guessing, like, if you go to a really redneck wedding, that a version of a duel could happen. But honestly, I haven't. I mean, I've been to quite a few weddings. I haven't seen any swords come out. I haven't seen any fighting or dueling or jossing or whatever. And I'm a little bummed. I wish this was a tradition. So friends, listeners, if anybody is getting married soon, congratulations. Please have a duel and invite me. Thank you. The next tradition comes from user V-E-X-O-N-T-E. I have no idea how to pronounce that, but... They commented, donating your urine to a dyer. And this wasn't just a thing. Um, As far as donating, you could also sell your urine. And you could sell it to a leather craftsman or a textile dyer. And the power of your pee is something not to be taken lightly in medieval times because it could make your colors brighter. And this is because um, the dyes that were used were made out of natural items like leaves and flowers, roots, sparks, berries, that sort of thing. So these types of dyes wouldn't really stick to the fabric unless you had a mordant. And this helped bind the dye to the cloth. Ammonia is like one of the best mordants. There was such a demand for urine that people had specific chamber parts so that families could collect their pee to use as mordants and then sell it to the textile workers or donate it to the textile workers. And then it would help your your clothes be more colorful. And as far as leatherworking goes, when urine breaks down, it basically um, decays into ammonia. And because of the high pH, this breaks down organic material, which makes it the perfect substance for softening and tanning animal hides. And so you could also sell your urine to the local leather worker as well. Who would have thought? Today, I'm lucky if I can even find a bathroom to go pee in without having to pay for it. I will say I have heard of people donating their pee for scientific purposes. As far as donating it for scientific purposes, I haven't heard about people getting paid. Usually you get, like, I don't know, some knickknacks or something. I think if it's like a significant study, then they would probably pay you. But I don't believe this tradition still stands today where we are in such need of urine for our textile workers and our fashion designers that they just want to use our urine to make their their clothes more vibrant. So this is something that I I really enjoyed this one. I just wish it was still a thing today because I am just flushing away money, it feels like. The next tradition comes from user D Gen 42 and they say wearing a cod piece. I have to read the comment directly under it because ah uh, it's perfect. It says, ah, uh, when syphilis inspired fashion. <laughs> so how did the cod piece come into fashion in the first place? If you remember um, your history books and pictures, then you remember that men wore pantyhose basically and the way that the hose worked for the men was kind of like fishermen's waders so they had one hose on each leg and that fastened into their um, their tunic basically and as their tunics as their tops became shorter then you would be able to see that telltale bulge a little bit more So then the codpiece came into fashion and it's believed that the codpiece allowed the private parts of the men to breathe a little bit more so that it was a little more comfortable. And also um, apparently there were a few fashion faux pas or accidents where somebody may have saw a little something personal from another man. And so it's also believed that the codpiece was to help prevent any of these accidents from happening. As the codpiece became more fashionable, so did the penis envy trend. And that is something that has not changed over the centuries. Um, Apparently, it was something that was also used as proving your masculinity in a very blatant manner so if you had a lot of money you could be more elaborate with your codpiece you could make it as large as you wanted you could make it out of silk and velvet and you could bejewel it and embroider it if you were in the military you could have a huge armor codpiece with shining silver and metal and engraved and all of that I'm sure you're all aware the codpiece has definitely fallen out of fashion. However, the art of manliness suggests that the codpiece should actually be brought back because it can help men today. And I quote, it says, it can help men today command a room like a man. Any man boldly sporting a codpiece as he walks into a room will instantly gain everyone's full attention. But remember, the codpiece is supposed to accentuate and not dominate, so even though everyone is likely to be staring at you, keep the focus on them. Maintain eye contact and talk about others. Following those simple rules will also help draw a lady's attention. "In quote. Yes, ArtofManliness.com wants to bring back the codpiece, and I want to know from you guys is this something that you think could actually be brought back because the only place that i have ever seen this is at the renaissance festival and only because they are trying to dress up like medieval times people so maybe i'm wrong maybe it's essential for men to command a room just with their codpiece. The article also goes on to mention that while cod pieces have fallen out of fashion, it hasn't vanished entirely. You can see them in movies like Star Wars, like Darth Vader's costume, or in Batman. And to me, like I, yeah, I have totally seen these, but they've always kind of been more of like an armor type thing, like um in sports. If you, you know, want a strap or a cup, um, you want to protect those goods down there. I totally get that. You totally should. And it works with the whole armor thing. But this article is also suggesting that uh, <laughs> that you can go buy a cup and with very little effort, you can turn it into a beautiful codpiece. I mean, I'm kind of loving this article because they're really encouraging men to like embroider Uh, your cups or um, make it look more sophisticated. Paint a design on it like flames or dragons or an axe. Maybe I'm changing my mind. Maybe the codpiece should come back. I would love to know your thoughts about this. Okay, so moving on to the next tradition, which was submitted by witty-message-2852. They said, sleeping with your entire family in one bed Or if you are a king sleeping in the same bed with a rival king to cement your friendship and respect for each other as brothers. Privacy was just not really a thing in the Middle Ages. This is more of a thing today than I realized. And I think this is more like of a Western perspective, which um, they actually come back later and edit their comment to say like, yeah, I came at this with a pretty Western perspective. It's also only recently in the last 150 years that people really started sleeping in separate bedrooms and it made me think of the scene in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where the family, the grandparents are all like sleeping in the same bed together. I just like to think back to my family dynamics as I was growing up and I remember like my sister stealing the sheets when we had to share the bed together. Some people I think you can sleep okay with and then other people it's like really hard to sleep with depending on their sleeping habits. I'm probably a hard person to sleep with. I talk in my sleep. I move around a lot. I will go to sleep in the correct position and wake up like starfished across the bed. So I'm probably one of those people that's really hard to sleep with. I really enjoyed the comment about um, like King's sleeping together so that you could respect each other. I never really thought about that, but that is like a perfect way to, especially if you were rivals, if you can sleep next to your enemy, that's an insane amount of trust. So I think that's actually kind of cool. But apparently people still do this today. It's just not as common here in America. So some commenters brought up It's more of a cultural thing. It's not necessarily in relation to your economic status. Like in Japan, many houses only have one bedroom. So it's just normal to sleep together. In India, it's also still a thing. Privacy is not really something that you get. And that is why I don't really live in either of those countries. I quite enjoy my privacy. Going back to the whole king thing. What if you invited your fellow kings over, you guys all slept together like a big old slumber party, you're like telling ghost stories, that seems like the ideal situation for a king sleepover party. I wonder if the queens did that, like, if the king came over, would their wives come over and like the queens all slept with the queens and the king slept together or was it just like a dude thing? I'll have to find that out. I... Did not find that in my research for today's episode. But now that I'm thinking about it, like if my husband was a king and he went over to some other king's house, I would be like, I'm going to go hang out with the queen if she's cool. I'm also thinking that because they were royal, they probably had really large beds, which would allow for a lot of the tossing and turning that sleepers like me do. So this one is definitely weird as far as like, I can't really imagine uh, presidents and or like leaders of countries today saying, hey, come over and we're going to have a sleepover so that we can like work out our trade and regulation problems. That definitely doesn't happen today as far as I know. But it does sound like this is something that has changed over um, more recent history And it's something that's kind of interesting. We'll probably have to talk about it in a later episode because privacy is also something that has changed over the last 150 years. Like, I think that's just something that we as a culture and um, other cultures view differently. So, obviously, sleeping together is going to be a huge. A huge difference, especially for Americans. The next tradition comes from Aldis S. One, and they said, fight instead of divorce. Why waste time on courts and child support? In medieval Germany, if a husband and wife reached a dead end on some important issue, they entered the ring. The rules, of course, equalized the forces of men and women. In the ring, the man was in a hole. One hand was tied behind his back so that he could strike with only one hand. And the wife was given a bag of coal with which she struck. Whoever wins the fight, in parentheses, says inflict serious injury or the defeated one asks for mercy, in parentheses, is therefore right in the dispute. And another user uh, commented with a uh, follow up comment from the year 1228 where a woman fought a man in Switzerland and defeated him and the article goes on to say, bizarre as it may seem to us today, this marital duel was very far from play acting. For both parties, the penalty for defeat was death. If the woman won, the man was executed. If the man won, the woman was buried alive. What? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Okay, so I mean, this is this is just like super interesting and weird. And uh, the first one didn't really mention the first one that was in Germany, it didn't mention whether or not they um, would die or not. So I'm not really sure if that just like whoever won the fight that just meant they were right and they would move on. Um, It's kind of crazy. That in Switzerland, they would kill whoever did not win. So, um, that's all the more reason to just settle your affairs in private, to me. The next tradition comes from Clockface897. And they said, going to sleep as soon as it gets dark, w- waking up and hanging out with your family for a few hours in the middle of the night and going back to bed until sunrise. And this is definitely something that um, changed after the Industrial Revolution because it, it wasn't just in medieval times. It, this is something that I've read about has happened or people used to do centuries past as well. And it's once we got um, streetlights and we had like a certain work schedule, this is when we started as humans moving into like this seven to nine hour sleep cycle. Before, people would sleep for about four hours or so, and then they'd wake up, they'd check on their livestock, they'd maybe have a drink with some family, and then you'd go back to bed for another four hours, and then you'd go about your daily affairs. So um, I know I've read some studies somewhere that like mentioned that maybe this type of sleeping pattern is healthier for humans and it's more natural, Um, I have actually never attempted to try this type of sleeping pattern and I think I would love it because I I don't know both my husband and I wake up in the middle of the night and we're like wide awake we could be hanging out we would love to stay up I think it would be really cool to stay up you know like you wake up at one o'clock in the morning go do go hang out with some friends go have a drink whatever and then come back to bed at 5 a.m. and then wake up at 9 or 10 a.m. and go about your day. How fun would that be? I like that. So this is yet another tradition that is a recent thing that people believe that everybody should sleep for, like, eight hours. So um, you would have your first sleep and your second sleep. So, yeah, that's that's pretty – that would definitely be weird in today's world. It'll be interesting to see, like – 300 to 500 years from now if people revert back to that schedule. The next tradition is posted by user Jeff underscore the underscore nurse. And he said a barber doing surgery. (laughs) One user commented below him. It was more like a surgeon who was also doing haircuts. And this is actually very correct. Most people don't realize that barbers actually used to perform surgery on customers and also dental work. The barber pole that is seen out of most barber shops today symbolizes something you all might not realize. The barber pole that is outside that has like the red and the blue stripes that spin around, the pole itself represents the staff that the patient gripped during the procedure to encourage blood flow. And that fact comes from a Wikipedia article. The colored stripes indicated what services the barber was able to provide. So if um, the barber pole showed red and white, then that meant that they could bleed their patients and set their bones or pull their teeth. The blue indicated if nothing urgent was required, and that usually is when you would get a haircut. Some people have interpreted the barber pole colors as red representing the arterial blood, blue symbolic of the venous blood, and white depicting the bandage. But this isn't actually uh, supported in all countries. This is something that is maybe supported in a very few European countries. So you're probably wondering what happened to make barber surgeons become just barbers and this is because in 1743 in France and 1745 in England, barber surgeons who cut or shaped hair were not allowed to perform surgery. And there was a college of surgery that was founded in England in 1800, and the last practicing barber surgeon in England died in 1821. And eventually, all the things that the barber surgeon did they did bloodletting, they did surgery, they did haircuts, they did getting your boils lanced, getting your teeth pulled. All of that eventually went into their own separate categories. So back then you had your barber surgeon, and today you have your surgeon, your dentist, your embalmers, your doctors, your hairdressers, your wig makers, and so forth. So it was just more one of those things as time went on Instead of being like this one stop shop, they, the um, colleges required the surgeons to become more skilled in their area of expertise. And the final tradition, which I did save my favorite for last, is it was um, uploaded by user master manipulation. And they said, this was a love potion recipe from the 10th century. And I'm just going to read the love potion as they have it written on Reddit here. It says, a woman will lay a cloth on the ground and cover it in grain. She will then strip her clothing off and cover her body in honey. After that, she will roll around the cloth and try to get covered in grain. Afterwards, she will get up and take the grain stuck to her body over to the mill and ground that into flour. She will then use that flour to bake bread and give it to her husband to eat. So that's the first love potion. He goes on and mentions another love potion that involves a wife presenting her naked butt to her husband who then rolls bread dough on it that will be turned into bread. This one just blew my mind. Um, somebody commented in a comment below that La potion still exists in the form of cam girls selling their bathwater to gamers, and there's also, I'm sure, um, you've heard of girls selling their socks or pictures of their feet or um, their dirty underwear to people as well so but this seems a little more intimate this is you're using your body to bake essentially like you roll i don't maybe they thought like the um like the smells and the pheromones and the senses from your body would mix with the grains and then because all of your all of your aromas was mixed that would help your husband fall in love with you but shouldn't he already be in love with you because you're married to him I I don't really understand I think there's probably a little bit more context and this is from an excerpt of Burkhardt of Worm's book The Corrector or alternatively The Physician but apparently in this book there's a lot of Pagan rituals, and these are just a couple of them. Now, there's definitely witchcraft and pagan rituals that go on today. I have heard of love potions that involve, and this is going to be really gross, so I apologize ahead of time. But I have heard of love love potions that um, involve women's period blood and mixing it with some other things to make a concoction to make a man fall in love with you. I have to say I would much rather, like, roll around in some grain and then bake some bread with it than give somebody my period blood. But that's just me. This also kind of reminds me of one of my old Wacky Wednesday episodes where we talked about um, the bread fetish. Oh, What was that girl's name? Let me look it up really quick. Bread bread face blog where the girl basically just smashes her face into bread. I mean, I love me some bread. My husband doesn't. This love potion would not work on my husband because he is not a bread eater. Now that I'm thinking about it, like, why did a married woman need a love potion for her husband? It's probably because back in medieval times, you... Rarely, rarely were able to marry the person that you actually loved. You um, often were married to bargain for something or had a dowry or something like that. So I guess I could understand the fact that a, a wife might need a love potion to make her husband love her. There's similar things that still go on today in Africa and Brazil, um, but they're drinks that you make from using the woman's undergarments. So I'm not really sure what's like the weirder part of this post. Like, is it more weird that she's having to make a love potion to make her husband love her? Because today, if you don't want to be with your husband you would just get divorced <laughs> or you would separate um you wouldn't have to go through all this trouble of rolling in grain and flour and making bread for him <laughs> or is it the fact that if she had to roll around and grain and flour and bake some bread or uh, put the dough on her butt and then bake that bread I'm not really. Sh- I'm kind of torn. They're both, they're both pretty weird. I wonder also if um, the the butt one, if it came out shaped like a butt, I think that would sell very well today, because you know, food and sex. That's all it is. So that's it for this wacky and weird Wednesday, everybody. I hope you are having an amazing week. I. Really just wanted to do something lighthearted and fun this week. And I thought, you know what? We're living in some crazy times. Let's go back in time to a crazier time. (laughs) And this did not disappoint. While some of these were very weird, there's still remnants of these traditions that are performed today. And I think that's very interesting. It's kind of like pieces of our ancestors that just... Are carried on through history in unexpected ways i would love to know your thoughts if you have any weird medieval traditions that you know about and which of these traditions was your favorite who knows maybe you'll be baking some bread this weekend remember stay curious